At the height of the Cold War in 1983, US President Ronald Reagan described the then Soviet Union as an evil empire. This marked a hawkish tone towards Russia from the Republican Party, which lasted for decades. But now the GOP seems less sceptical of Russia than it once was, and some within its ranks might even be described as sympathetic to Putin and his regime. What was once an issue upon which the party could unite has become one of its many existential dilemmas. So why is it the GOP can't make up its mind on Russia? Here to discuss this with me is Jackie Carms, who is a columnist for the Los Angeles Times, who also covered the White House for the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. Thank you for thinking of me. Love to be here. Jackie, are we a long way from the, the Reagan doctrine here then? Oh, we certainly are. It's it's a 180 degree change. And I'm glad you started with the um, Reagan years because that was a time the Republican Party was thought of as a three-legged stool. And one stool was the economic, you know, small government, low taxes. Another stool was the con- cultural conservatism, issues like abortion and anti-gay rights. But the third stool, for many Republicans, the most important one was national security and anti-communism and just being hawkish in general and and in favor of global expansionism. And as any of your listeners would see, that does not describe today's Republican Party at all. And it was Reagan's view, but it also went back through Nixon and Eisenhower all the way back to post-World War II. So this is a a change that's, you know, of a at least 70 years of the Republican Party's orthodoxy. And I think it's uh, really, really being tested in terms of the U.S. support for the war in Ukraine against Russia. Because historically, you know, Reagan was the the most hawkish, it would appear, on Russia because of the circumstances of the Cold War. But a lot of people would describe where we're at now is kind of, there's a similar split happening in the world Why is it then that that seems to have flipped in that way? Why hasn't that remained consistent? Well, the short answer is Trump. Donald Trump has, for reasons that people still don't fully understand and speculate about to the extreme that he could be, you know, a mole for for Russia. Um, I mean, serious people discuss that. But he both supercharged and harnessed a ship that was already going on in the Republican Party. Yeah, is, is Trump chicken or egg? You know, which way did he, has he started this or is he just following a wave? For some people, he's one, for some the other. For nearly my entire lifetime, Russia and the Soviet Union were far and away the biggest threat to our national security and seen that way. And it's, it's just, you know, once the Cold War was quote unquote won, the Republican Party really was at sea because that had been the defining, uniting force of their party the, to be anti-communism, anti-Russia, anti-Soviet Union at the time. And so they they sort of lost an enemy and they turned inward and, and decided we've won the Cold War. It's time for America first. And that was a sort of sentiment that simmered, uh, but Donald Trump really supercharged it. You mentioned the the free prongs sort of of uh, of the Republican Party, as it were. Are they in this existential place where they're kind of leaning just on one? I spoke to to Julie Norman for a Bunk USA a couple of weeks ago, and we discussed how they seem to have just completely gone for culture war issues, and that's it. So those three things you speak about, I still associate them with Republicans, but maybe just mainly the cultural side now. Right. And is that where part of this issue has come from? I think you've 
really put your finger on it. It's the stool used to be very evenly balanced, you know, and uh, now it's, I, I think the stool has toppled. As we've seen Trump and now his leading challenger, perhaps in the Republican Party, got Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, it's all culture war all the time. And it's under, you know, that fits very well in America first. And, and again, prior to this century, the enemy was communism. Now the enemy is Democrats. Cultural conservatism post-Soviet Union turned out to be the political glue that they could attract voters on. And it also happened that post-Reagan, Reagan drew a lot of former Democrats into the Republican Party. And those Democrats, former Democrats, tended to be in places throughout the Midwest, conservative small towns and rural areas. Those happened to also be the people that for many decades, including prior to the World Wars, were the most resistant to the U.S. having an expansive role abroad. So, you know, you come forward and those areas where the Republican Party is now strongest also have historically been the areas most receptive to isolationism. So, you know, this year it's going to be, in the coming months, a major test in terms of supporting Ukraine as to what the future of the Republican Party is going to be. The GOP in itself is obviously a very well-established institution. Is it a problem then when you become a party that bases itself around being anti-institutions and your party is one? So that's why they're eating them. They're yeah. eating themselves. You're, you're exactly right. And the worst thing to be called if you're an aspiring uh, politician in the Republican Party right now is a member of the establishment. And yet... There has to be an establishment. Yeah. And the establishment is standing against Russia. So yeah. therefore, you then have to have this contrarianism for the sake of it. Right. And so you've seen, I've now seen about two generations of this, where you have Republicans who come to Washington, either members of Congress or run for president, and, and in the governorships too, where they first get elected and become prominent by virtue of their image as mavericks, as shaking things up, anti-establishment. Well, you don't have to be here or in state capitals for too many years before the voters start seeing you as the establishment. And yeah. then there are always, there's happened for the last 30 years in the Republican Party, the next generation comes up. You know, we've seen the Newt Gingrich era in the 90s, the Tea Party era in the aughts. And now, you know, Trump in the teens. And each of those spur on this sense of grievance and anti-establishment so that you see it in the early maneuvering for the Republican Party's um, presidential nomination for 2024 in that people like former U.N. Ambassador and South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, the relatively new figure in American politics, but she's been around long enough that she's now sort of disparaged in a circle among Republican voters as establishment. And it just also so happens that she's so far the only uh, presidential aspirant among the Republicans who's giving a full-throated support for U.S. continuing to back uh, Ukraine and to stand with its allies to do so. Has winning the House put a lot of focus on the, the GOP when it comes to this? Because they actually, it's a lot easier to be on the shout lines and you can kind of be a bit of a crank if you don't really have to do anything. And now there's people like Marjorie Taylor Greene actually with some 
some semblance of power there. And even if that power is just to block stuff, but they've been brought into the Ukraine conversation in a in a literal way now, in a way that before they could just go, you're doing it wrong, but we can't do anything, so whatever. Yes. If the House Republicans had not won a majority last November and taken control of the House of Representatives, we would not be having this discussion, perhaps. Um, but the fact that they now control one half of Congress, they have to pass on any further aid for Ukraine, which President Biden is certain to ask for. Now, it's not an immediate need because in anticipation of Republicans taking control of the House, last year Congress passed more aid for Ukraine in December in the year-end budget bills than they might have otherwise just because they wanted to have it in the pipeline in anticipation that these anti-Ukraine aid Republicans would take over the House. And yes, you know, the thing I still think among the House Republicans, it is a minority view to want to just drop support for Ukraine by, like you said, Marjorie Taylor Greene. But because the Republicans have such a small margin, it only takes four people to challenge the uh, House Speaker um, Kevin McCarthy's power. And Marjorie Taylor Greene and her ilk would think nothing of doing that. It's also the presidential race because you now see that not only is Donald Trump saying friendly things as usual about Vladimir Putin and Russia and urging you know peace on Russia's terms, he's now joined by his leading challenger, perhaps the Governor DeSantis in Florida, which is a complete shift in DeSantis's yeah. point of view, which sort of personifies what's going on in the Republican Party. Back in 2014, when Russia took Crimea, uh, then-Congressman DeSantis was one of the biggest pains in the side of the Obama administration, urging them to give more military aid, offensive and defensive weapons, to Ukraine. And now here he is saying that Russia's invasion and continued war crimes amount to a territorial dispute. Yeah, I have a, I have a quote from him uh, from back discussing Crimea, where he said, when Putin sees he can gain an inch, he's apt to take a mile. And then, as you say, now he's describing this in the terms of territorial dispute. How did you feel, you know, you've covered this sort of thing for a long time. How did you feel someone, to see someone in his position saying that? But also, logically, what I don't get is he wants to set himself apart from Trump in right. a lot of ways. And he's had, he has started to push back against Trump a right. little bit. But for some reason on this, he's kind of sitting on the fence in a way. He's trying right. to use c- right. couched language. It doesn't make him f- seem totally like a Putin apologist, but he's still not prepared to to actually say, I'm not one, though. Well, um, shockingly, I think he's putting his finger to the wind and reading the polls. It, it's um, <sighs> worrisome, but some of the latest polls show that more than half of Republican voters think we're uh, the U.S. is doing too much for Ukraine. And that is up exponentially from the beginning of the war just a year ago when um, just less than one out of five Republicans felt that way. But I don't think it's good politics for him myself, at least in, in the long term. You know, this is a man who, like you say, has to distinguish himself from Trump He's got a military background. He's been this hawk in the past. So now he's set himself up to be constantly reminded of this complete flip-flop on the issue of Ukraine. 
And it just looks, he, he's not someone who has a lot of foreign policy experience. So if you're running for president, you have to establish some credibility, some bona fides about international affairs. And he instead, I mean, it's laughable to call Russia's invasion and continued uh, destruction in Ukraine as a territorial dispute. It just doesn't pass the laugh test. You spoke about Russia being a sort of quite distinct enemy for the US in the past and something that the Republican Party could stand against. Has the rise of China allowed them to sort of to go under the radar a little bit because now China is the enemy? And it seems like people like Ron DeSantis don't mind being hawkish on China. So I don't understand why they then aren't on Russia when in the world axis, I'd see those two as quite aligned. I think the the simplest explanation as to why they're so up in arms, Republican politicians so up in arms about China and not about Russia is Donald Trump because he's hitting that issue hard and he's got, because there's a lot of voters who agree. And I think the second thing is because Americans just feel in their pocketbook even that China is a bigger enemy. Russia is such a small economy. It's China. It's China where Americans feel like they've lost jobs. Is it this gross oversimplification of politics that we're getting because of populists like Donald Trump and because of the just the quite abject lack of talent within the Republican Party is that the figureheads there, people, you know, like the people we've discussed, maybe actually just don't have a, a broad grasp of foreign policy to be able to speak about it in a complex way? Politicians throughout my, my whole career have been looking for ways, you know, quote unquote message to make, you know, to simplify and it's exasperating for me as a journalist always because, you know, you want to examine things fully. So in terms of this messaging, a lot of what has happened also goes back to post-Reagan when the ascendance and the growth and expansion of conservative media as a distinct communications ecosystem so that people who have a bias, a right-wing bias, can find a, an outlet now Fox News and Newsmax and so many others online that will validate that bias and those untruths that they choose to believe. And um, never was that more obvious than in this latest spate of disclosures from internal emails and text messages at Fox News among its best known celebrity stars, not least Tucker Carlson just showing what disdain they have for their audience, but the fact that they are spreading things they know to be false in the interest of holding this audience, which comes to the screen, believing those things in the first place. Have you seen a sort of a, a sort of funnel here where Russia has maybe been courting the, the right and the far right in America, but for a long time, those people weren't in actual official positions or positions of power. They were just sort of talk radio hosts or things like that. And then now... Suddenly, there's been this funnel where those people have ended up within our institutions. Do you think this actually started a long time ago and we're just seeing the sharp end now? It's just that these people haven't been in the positions for us to to witness it. They've just they were just talking heads in the past and now they've actually got power within their grasp. Yeah. And one, you know, like for a long time, maybe you could ignore it. I've been watching it for years. I first noticed it in the mid 90s when I was covering Congress at that time for The Wall Street Journal 
what's really sad and I think corrosive for our politics to see is that you mentioned Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. You know, she and people like her and Matt Gates of Florida and Lauren Boebert of Colorado, those people don't do like traditional members of Congress would try to either be all over their district, you know, serving their constituents' needs or being and or being standouts in their committee, doing work in their committees and really getting expert in a, in a particular area, you know, to carve out a niche for themselves. Now, all they care about is getting on Fox News. And, and that's how their, their constituents, sadly, measure them. If they don't see them on Fox News, they think that, you know, they're not doing anything. Do you have any any hope that the Republican Party can go back to being, uh, as I saw you write, you know, your your father's Republican Party, yeah. and maybe get itself back in line on Russia? Or do you think it's too far gone there? Yeah, I don't think the old Republican Party is ever coming back. I, for a while, held out some hope, but even before Trump, I was skeptical. And given the impact Trump has had on the party, hand in hand with the power of Rupert Murdoch's empire in our country. And, um, oh, and ours, unfortunately. Yeah. And other conservative media at the state's level. And I might add the decline in America of local journalism because so many small town papers are going under and which is sending people to rely more and more on these right wing sources for their news or to get none at all. Um, so. It's gone too far. I wish there was a healthier Republican Party. I'm not, obviously not a partisan, and I think it's, you know, you can't have a healthy democracy without a healthy political parties. There should be a place for a conservative party that's, I don't know, on the level in this country, but there, right now we don't have that, and I have many ex-Republican friends who attest to that, and most of them have given up as well. On on Russia specifically, though, do you think that there is any there is any chance that Russia could go go far enough, which unfortunately would be way way too far by my estimations, but go far enough that even these extreme members would go, you know what, we actually need to be be hawkish towards that country anymore. Well, sadly, this reminds me of Donald Trump's famous comment when he was running for president in 2016 that he could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue in New York City and shoot someone and he wouldn't lose a vote. I'm thinking Vladimir Putin has effectively shot a number of people and hasn't not only lost a vote, he's built power. So I don't think, I mean, there is something that the current Republican, MAGA, Trumpian Republican likes about autocrats, the strong man. And I really don't think, I mean, look at what Putin has done in Ukraine as it is in terms of the war crimes. I mean, this recent, his designation as a war criminal this week for the mass taking of children, to of Ukrainian children to Russia to repatriate them is just one of so many acts of war crimes. And um, it's just not affected his um, image within the and favorability within the Republican Party at all, and I never thought I would live to see it. Jackie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's been a nice conversation. You too, listeners. If you enjoy this podcast, remember you can back us on Patreon so we can keep making them. There's a link in the show notes, or just search Bunker Patreon Podcast. 
This is Jacob Jarvis. Thank you for joining me for The Bunker USA. The Bunker was presented by Jacob Jarvis. Audio productions by me, Robin Lieber. Lead producer is Jacob Jarvis. Group editor, Andrew Harrison. And the theme tune is by Jade Bailey. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. 